Hello, and welcome to Historically Speaking, uncommon history with an unconventional pair. I'm Rebecca Robbins. And I'm Kim Kimmel. I'm a singer and actress. And I'm a retired history teacher. He was my history teacher in college. And now we've been married for 21 years. (laughs) Sometimes quirky, sometimes obscure. But this is the kind of history you actually want to remember. Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of Historically Speaking Podcast. I think it's a full year now, isn't it? This is our last episode of season one, because as of episode 32, we'll be in a new season. Ep- episode 33. Oh, crap. 33. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Now that we got that straight. Yeah. Hope I get my historical facts better than my yeah, date well, facts. Yeah, I was know. never good with dates. Well, whatever. Unless it was dates with you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So today we're going to talk about sort of a dark period in American history. Pretty dark. Yes. Uh, the Salem Witch Trials of 1692-93 in Massachusetts. But let me start off on a positive note. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm can all do for that. that. Okay. The good news is, is that after 1692, never in America, in the American colonies and eventually the United States, did any state authority at any level put any other people to death for witchcraft. 1692 is the last year in America for this tragedy. This continued in Europe well into the 18th century. The last person executed for witchcraft in Europe was in Switzerland in the 1780s, almost a hundred years after the Salem witch trials. And witchcraft executions continued even beyond that elsewhere in the world. Just as a few examples, a woman in 2010 was burned in Ghana for witchcraft. In 2010? 2010. In 2011, a person was beheaded in Saudi Arabia for witchcraft. 2012, another person was beheaded for witchcraft or sorcery in Saudi Arabia. And just last year in Somalia, a person was executed for witchcraft by, I think, a firing squad. Wow, that is extraordinary. Yes, it is. uh, It kind of leaves you speechless. It it really does, especially when you consider the facts, at least that happened in America, and how they were just nuts. Well, there were religious reasons, psychological reasons, economic reasons. Uh, There might have been biochemical reasons related to the eating of rye bread. With okay. a fungus in it and so on. I think we need to set the stage. Okay, need to set the stage. You're always good at that. All right, here's the situation. The Massachusetts Bay Colony was founded in 1629. It got a charter from King Charles I. And this led to what is known as the Great Migration. This refers to Puritans coming in large numbers by the thousands to Massachusetts. Now, New Plymouth Colony had already been founded a decade before by the Pilgrims, who were a type of Puritans, but this was a much larger colony than New Plymouth Colony. New Plymouth Colony is now basically the southeastern part of Massachusetts, including Cape Cod. The Puritans were of two groups. There were what they were called separatists, and there were the nonconformists. 
The Separatists wanted nothing to do with the established Anglican Church of England. They just thought it was so rotten with Catholic ritual, etc., what they called Even popery. though it wasn't Catholic. Even though it wasn't Catholic, they felt it was still too Catholic. The nonconformist Puritans felt that there was some hope that the Anglican Church could be reformed from within. The pilgrims who came to Plymouth in 1620 were separatists. The Puritans who came to Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630 were originally nonconformists, but they quickly became separatists as well, wanting nothing to do with the Anglican Church. Oh, out of sight, out of mind. Right. And what happened was this basically becomes a theocracy in which the only people allowed to vote are church members. No one else could vote. Of course, it was only male. But were there many people who were not church oh, members? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And they gradually admitted more into the voting ranks, and they eventually got a bicameral legislature. They had a governor. They have a, a council or assistance. But it was a very strict place to live. I'm just curious, what would be the percentage of people who were not church members? I would think it'd be pretty low. Uh, no, there were all kinds of workers, craftsmen, uh, some soldiers uh, and others. But oh, uh, okay. in a way, they were kind of like second class citizens because they needed them, you know, fishermen, etc. So the church so members... So they needed them, but they didn't want to give them the rights to vote. That's correct. And they only allowed a certain number of church members. It's not like every male church member became a voter. That was uh, more and more restricted as time went on. So, I don't know that I'd want to live here. Well, same thing, by the way, in New Plymouth Colony, where a lot of the um, people were not pilgrims. They were non-Puritan. Same thing there. And the same thing in Connecticut. But what happened was, by 1684... Massachusetts Bay Colony had so irritated the British government for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, they would either kill or maim Quakers or Roman Catholics who came into the colony. And Charles II, who was king from 1660 to 1685, I mean, he basically said to Massachusetts Bay through his commissioners, would you stop killing and maiming my subjects? Charles II was a very tolerant man for his age. And I might write reference here to another tolerant man, William Penn. William Penn was a friend of Charles II and of his uh, younger brother, the Duke of York, who would become James II after Charles II died. And William Penn, in founding Pennsylvania in 1681, I think uh, had a very enlightened approach. His, his point was, look, as long as you believe in God, you're welcome in Pennsylvania. You could be Roman Catholic, you could be Quaker, as Penn was, you could be Anglican, you could be Jewish, uh, you could be Lutheran. So it was just a God. Well, I think they, he meant the Judeo-Christian God. I see. Right. Okay. But still, for the 17th century, that was That's a very... I mean, there's no question in my mind, <laughs> I would much rather have lived in late 17th century Pennsylvania than late 17th century Massachusetts. No question. Well, in 1684, when the charter was yanked, all right. By Charles II. By Charles II and his government. For about eight years, uh, Massachusetts was in a kind of strange state. Of For three or four years when James II came in, something called the Dominion of New England was created, which tried to unite all the New England colonies with New York and New Jersey. And that didn't really work. And once James was overthrown by William and Mary, Mary being his daughter and William being his son-in-law, the Glorious Revolution, Bill of Rights, and all of that, Finally, William and Mary got around to giving Massachusetts a new charter. And Massachusetts had the distinction of becoming the only royal province 
that was a chartered royal province. What's interesting about all 13 colonies is not one of them started out as a royal colony. They either started out as a proprietary colony or as a corporate colony. On the eve of the American Revolution, eight of the 13 colonies were royal colonies. So Three, they kept growing. Yeah, they kept growing. So what was the difference really? Well, the royal colonies were directly run by the crown. The governor was appointed by the crown. It was just more direct control. But they both had to pay taxes to the crown. Is that right? Well, uh, most of it, well, taxes is part of what led to the American Revolution and exactly. et cetera. So I don't want to, that's, that's another topic. That's another episode. Okay. Right. A lot of these were excise taxes, indirect taxes, and so on. It wasn't an income tax, a direct tax. But uh, Georgia, the North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, uh, New Hampshire, they all ended up being royal colonies, okay. uh, even though not one of them started out that way. There were, in, in the eve of the American Revolution, three proprietary colonies. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. Well, I want to just set the stage and get back to Massachusetts, okay? Okay. The three proprietary colonies were Pennsylvania and Delaware under the Penton family, Maryland under the Calvert family, the Lord Baltimore's. And then you had uh, two corporate colonies, Connecticut and Rhode Island, which were almost like little republics. But this was until the 1700s, right? Well, all the colonies, with the exception of Georgia, were founded in the 17th century. 12 of the 13. Only Georgia was founded in the 18th century in 1732. Now, let's get back to Massachusetts. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for that digression. I was like, wait, this is about the Salem Witch Trials, okay. right? Okay. The Salem Witch Trials begin... So we're in, we're in a very religious time. Very religious and a very religious colony, Massachusetts, uh, which actually technically by 1692 was uh, the province of Massachusetts Bay. And it included what formerly was New Plymouth. It also included Maine and so on. So it was a very big province and it was very strictly run. Now, and, who was running it? Well, you had a governor. By this time, you had a royal governor because uh, it was a royal province as of 1692. And you had a lieutenant governor. You had a council. You had uh, something like 28 assistants or counselors. You had uh, a lower house. So it had democratic elements to it. There's no question about it. But it was suffused with a great deal of religiosity on the part of many individuals. Now, there were many, many towns in Massachusetts in the 1690s by that time, because Massachusetts by that time was about 60 years or, or older. You had Boston. You had Salem, what was called Salem Town, now Salem City. You had Salem Village, what is now Danvers. You had Ipswich. You had Marblehead. You had a lot of towns in Massachusetts. The Salem Witch Trials are focused on, on two municipalities, Salem Village, which is where it starts and which is now Danvers, Massachusetts and Salem Town, which is now the city of Salem, where you performed back in 2013. Right. I think I gave a <laughs> teaser to that in our last episode, saying I had a very special relationship. Right. right. It was probably the largest crowd that I've ever performed I think performed it was like 20,000 or 25,000 there. Yeah. yeah it Fourth was, of July. Yeah. It was Fourth of July Pops concert on yep. the Salem Wharf. Yep. So maybe uh -huh. some of these spirits were with me that night. Who knows? Well, I don't know. I don't think the Puritans in charge would have probably welcomed such a concert. But I bet some of those people who were hung for witchcraft would have appreciated that concert. Very much so. Yes, I certainly did. That's good. In any case, uh, all of this begins in, the, in Salem Village, what is now Danvers, Massachusetts, in February of 1692. Eight or nine girls aged anywhere from around nine to 17. The oldest was Elizabeth Hubbard. She was 17. You had Betty Parrish. You had a girl named Abigail. 
about eight or nine girls started to have what is known as spectral visions, dreams, visions, etc. Uh, Just all of a sudden? Uh, pretty much all of a sudden, yeah. Were, were they all getting together and hanging out? They were out? all getting together. I think they first got together with that, uh, I think you told me about it, where they would drop egg whites into uh, water and such and then see Oh, where they were trying to learn their fortunes. Yeah, their fortunes and, and their see who their husbands, husbands would be. But then they started seeing coffins and very negative things, etc. And, and then, scared then them. In, in February, they, they just, they began screaming, getting under tables, throwing stuff. I think they were even barking like dogs. Barking like dogs, hysterical. This group of girls. A group of girls. And, uh, and so they brought in a doctor and the doctor could find nothing wrong with them physically. And he said it could very well be witchcraft, which was very much believed in, of course, at that time. And so this is how it really begins with these eight or nine girls. And then they start to accuse people. In Salem. In Salem Village. And then it spreads. Okay. Right? They accused a South American Indian slave, uh, a domestic slave named Titiba, and a woman named Sarah Good and another woman named Sarah Osborne. Now, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne always deny that they were witches. Uh, Titiba did admit that she was uh, confronted by Satan and would go went along with Satan at first, etc. It's interesting that Titiba was not one of the persons that would be killed because she confessed right up front to all wow, of this. Wow, that's ironic. Yes. So this goes on in March and April of 62, May so of 62. So these people are being accused. I mean, of 92. Yes. More, by these girls. More and more people are being accused. Local magistrates in Salem town are set up to determine you know, whether there was guilt or innocence. Uh, most of the people accused were women, but not all. Some were men. And... What happened is the new governor, William Phipps, in June set up a special court called the Court of Oyer and Terminer to uh, hear and determine the truth or lack thereof of all these charges. Because this was becoming quite a phenomenon. Oh, yes. More and more people. Over 200 people would be accused. In the course of a year? In the course of months. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, wow. maybe over the course of one year. Because you're, gonna, you're really talking about February of 1692 to... May of 1693. All these people just... Yeah. Something like 30 people were found guilty. And this is where the real tragedy begins. Between early June and late September of 1692, 19 people were hanged to death. Most were women. I think 15 of the 19 So they went women. to court. They were convicted. They were convicted. On what evidence? The girls maintained that Satan took the image of these women and were torturing them and were pinching them and were doing horrible things to them. And they announced this in court. Uh, so all these grown men, because most of the courts were men. Oh, it would have been all men then, yeah. In fact, the uh, the presiding judge over the court of Warrior and Terminer at the time was the lieutenant uh, governor, uh, William Stoughton. So all these grown men believe these adolescent girls Yes, uh, and principally because of spectral evidence, which has to do with visions and dreams and so on, which they considered to be, it wasn't the only evidence, but it was the chief evidence. And so between early June and late September, you're going to have 19 people hanged to death, and you're going to have one person, an old man named Giles Corey, he was pressed to death with stones because he refused to plead either innocent or guilty. Because he uh, thought it was just nonsense. Yeah. Uh, and he, I think he might have wanted, they felt if he pleaded guilty or if he pleaded innocent and was found guilty, then he would lose his property. 
And this is a very important feature of the Salem Witch Trials. There might be a lot of real estate matters, people wanting other people's property, uh, wanting certain families, certain individuals, condemns. So that but if, if it was mainly the women who were accused, wouldn't the husbands still have the property? No, some of the women own the property in their own right. Oh, uh, women own or the property. Or if you know, if if the women were accused and the man might be accused too, uh, some of the men were accused. Oh, that's true. There yeah. were several. Uh, I mean, some and of wives. the. I think uh, of the nineteen who were hung, I believe four were men. And w were their properties confiscated? Yeah, absolutely. By the yeah. state. Or uh, the that's a good question. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it was they were put into abeyance for uh, the time being. The Salem witch trials were last such a short time that there might not have been enough time to have uh, deeds of conveyance, etc., exacted or put into effect and transfer of property and all of that. So this is just mass hysteria in this one area. Right. Well, it's, you know, it spreads. I mean, and then they, they, they had so many people accused, they couldn't hold them just in Salem Village and Salem Town. They had to put them in Boston and Ipswich and elsewhere. I mean, this is just, this has a cascading effect. You would think somebody would say, okay, this is getting ridiculous. Well, that's what happened. By the end of September of 1692, it was decided that spectral evidence, people, these girls specifically saying they had visions and dreams of Satan and so on, would no longer be considered as admissible evidence. And once spectral evidence was dismissed as as admissible, then things started to get much better. By the end well, of why all of a sudden did they say, okay, we're not gonna I think this there was a sense that this was getting out of hand. I think there was I mean even William even William Phipps' own wife, the governor's own wife was accused of witchcraft. I think that might have That been, might have been the straw that, that broke. might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Um and so by the end of October the court of voyeur and terminer was done away with. And then what's interesting is as you move into January it goes to the Superior Court of Massachusetts. This is sixteen ninety three, right? Yeah. This is January sixteen ninety three. Now, spectral evidence is no longer admissible. But, but all these people are still in jail. Uh, yeah, a lot of them. In fact, what, in addition to the 19 who were hung, in addition to uh, the one man who was pressed to death, four or five died in jail, including Sarah Osborne, one of the original three who was accused. I can't imagine witchcraft. the conditions in a colonial jail. And Sarah Good, one of the other three that was originally accused, she was hung. She was one of the 19 that was hung. It's, a, it's shocking to me because... I would think these young girls would at some point start to feel a little guilty. Well, one of them did, Putnam and Putnam Jr. In 1706, many years after the Salem witch trials, she said she was sorry. She felt that Satan had misdirected her. Part of the problem with spectral evidence is if Satan is that clever, he could make a good person look like they're a bad person to someone as, as a torturer. So that was one of many difficulties with spectral evidence, which fortunately... Not to mention the fact that it's simply ridiculous. Well, don't forget that there is still exorcism. That's the, true. The Catholic, the Roman Church, Catholic Church is very Church, much at the uh, There are still many who believe very much along the lines of the Puritans. Now, we should mention Samuel Parris. Oh, right. Yeah, Samuel Parris became the fourth minister in Salem Village. And there were some who liked him, but there were many who didn't like him. And Samuel Parris, uh, both his daughter Betty and his uh, niece Abigail, were two of the girls that had all these fits and hysteria and so on. And it seems that Samuel Parris kind of encouraged this, along with another family, the Putnams, 
who encouraged this, Ann Putnam, the mother, Ann Putnam Jr., who would be the one who would eventually apologize in 1706. And it might have had something to do with um, jealousy, backbiting, property rights. It's This is all part of the murkiness of the it Salem Witch It certainly was trial. convenient for them, right? for those people who had a grudge to bear. Yeah, because you'd lose your property if if you were accused of uh, of witchcraft. Absolutely. And young yes. girls are so impressionable. Yes. It's interesting that all of the ones that had the fits were young girls, teenage girls, maybe as young as nine, something like that. By 1693, when it went to the Superior Court, which is kind of like the Supreme Court of the province of Massachusetts Bay. By the way, there's a there's a debate as to what is the oldest appellate court in the United States. Is it the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court that was founded when William Penn founded Pennsylvania in the 1680s? Or was it the Superior Court in Massachusetts? We know that the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court and the Massachusetts, effectively the Massachusetts Supreme Court, are both far older by about a century than any federal appellate court like the Circuit Courts or the United States Supreme Court. Wow, that's a lot of history. <laughs> that's a lot of history. Sorry, folks. Um, <laughs> in any case, it went to the Superior Court. There were some more people convicted, but none of those people died. And eventually, William Phipps issued a general pardon. Oh, People, a pardon. Yeah. Uh, and by May of 1693, it was over. But it had been a 15-month... So they month just opened the doors jails, of the jails. Yeah, right, the ones that were still you there. You can go home now. It's all over. Right. And uh, there was a realization as the years went on that a big mistake had been made. It was horrific. Yeah. It really and just was. the suffering of these people in jail alone, not to mention the ones Oh, who yeah, were they were chained. Killed. The jail conditions were horrible. I don't know. I think I might have rather be uh, hung than in you jail to, for a year yeah. uh, in those kind of jails. Imagine the sanitation uh, or lack thereof. The disease thereof. And, oh, and the lack of food just, and oh, no, water. It was, I mean, a lot of people explain this as mass hysteria, and I don't think that's a bad explanation. Well, it certainly caught fire very quickly. Yes, and you have to put yourself into the mindset of the late 17th century, an extremely religious age. But it's interesting, only in Connecticut and Massachusetts in colonial times were any witches burned. Actually, in Connecticut, before the Salem Witch Trials, back in the mid-17th century, between the late 1640s and early 1660s. But I know of no other incidents in the other 11 colonies where any witch was burned. I guess you call a male witch a warlock, right? I don't know if it's a wizard or a warlock. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. But I don't uh, know to my knowledge, in the other 11 colonies, there was never anyone who was executed. If I were living in, say, Danvers, Massachusetts, yeah. I would hightail my butt to Pennsylvania ASAP. Well, some people did leave if they could. Not very many had the wherewithal to leave. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the clothing. They didn't have the transportation. But there were people that that did escape from Massachusetts. I think John Alden Jr., son of John Alden, was the one who got himself out of Massachusetts. Yes, but I agree. If I if I had any way to get out of Massachusetts in 1692, I would have done it. Because you didn't know where this was going to go, if your family right. was going to be touched by this. or. Right. The most, no the most tolerant, the most tolerant of all the colonies was Pennsylvania. You could make a case for the fact that Rhode Island was too, thanks to Roger Williams. But uh, yeah, Pennsylvania would have been my first choice. Those Quakers, you can't beat them. <laughs> 
Well, I'm that's a, a that's a great tribute to William Penn, I think. I think he was way ahead of his time, like Charles II, the king was. Although Charles II was a rascal, and I don't think William Penn now, was. Now, wait, was Charles still king in 1692? No. It was his no. brother. No, he died in 1685. His brother James came in. His brother was as inept as Charles was capable and lost his throne within four years. That's the Glorious Revolution. And James II's older daughter married to the Prince of Orange, William. They became the only, in the only time in English history, joint monarchs, as in William and Mary. So they had to know this was going on then. They did. And William, the new king, William III, the, the Dutch king, uh, he was a, an enlightened man for his time too. And uh, he did not favor persecution of Roman Catholics or things like this. But he had only so much power. And don't forget... It was 3,000 miles across, you know, across the, the Atlantic. So the it wasn't like modern communications and, and so on. So it was very difficult. And he had other things on his mind, like fighting Louis XIV. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, William had Those a full Frenchies. plate. He had, to, he had to take on James and his followers in Ireland, the Battle of the Boyne and all of that. So Right, the Orangemen. Yeah. So, I mean. So but, I guess they had a lot on their plate, too. Yeah, they did. They did. So eventually, the it's all wrapped up. There's never any uh, more witches. Executed. Was there any restitution or any apology by the? There was apology. State? There's a general pardon. I don't know about restitution per se. I mean, as late as 1957, the Massachusetts legislature apologized for all of this. In 2001, I think the Massachusetts legislature uh, exculpated anyone who was accused. So it, Wait, it, that, it took that long? It took that long. It, it's a multi-century phenomenon. Holy cow. Yeah, it really is fascinating to study the Salem it's uh, fascinating and tragic, and it makes you angry. I, right. I found myself very angry. Well, I, one of the things this. that really turned it around is when a, a woman named Rebecca Nurse was hanged. That's what really started a lot of people into a critical mode about what's going on. Because Rebecca Nurse was looked upon as a very fine person. And if she could be a witch, anybody could be accused of witchcraft. And, and she was she hung older? in July of 92. Hmm? She was older, too, wasn't she? Was she was older, too, yeah. And it's just, what a mess. <laughs> and we don't know. I mean, it might have been, it might have been due in part to uh, real estate matters and wanting property. Uh, it could have been mixed with a religious fervor, almost certainly But the was. way the girls were just hysterical. Yeah. Beyond reason. Well, you kind of find that today here with the cancel culture, don't you? Well, you have a lot of hysterical you people. You have a lot of you have people that want to engage in metaphorical or symbolic hanging. Uh, people that want to go way beyond just the boycott of a person's product. They want to destroy you. And they, they want to take your property. They want to, they want to basically obliterate you. That's what I see with the cancel culture, etc. Uh, I don't like it. Which isn't exclusive to young girls. No, it isn't. Uh, no, it's, it's it's a much wider problem, and it's not confined to just Massachusetts. I guess in a way, it's just literally history repeating itself with well, McCarthy. and. Well, sometimes people make the comparison to the McCarthy era in the 1950s, and I'd like to just say something about that. The difference there is there really were communist sympathizers and communists in the American government, and nobody knew this better than Harry Truman when he was president. That's why he issued Executive Order 9835 in March of 1947 to ferret out communist sympathizers in the American government. 
Now, Joe McCarthy, senator from Wisconsin, comes along three years later in 1950 and says, oh, no, there's more communists, et cetera, in the government. But he never really proves anything. So and this is what disgusted Truman about McCarthy. By the way, McCarthy, even though a Republican, uh, he found himself very much uh, looked down upon by Dwight Eisenhower, too. Eisenhower, a Republican, and Truman, a Democrat, both had uh, severe reservations about McCarthy's approach. And Truman had basically taken care of any communist sympathizers in the government with that executive order in 1947. So what was McCarthy doing? That's a good question. I mean, he was powerful from 1950 to 54. Uh, and Just from his special committees, right? Yeah, absolutely. But he basically does himself in. And uh, what really did it for Eisenhower is when McCarthy accused George C. Marshall of communist sympathies. George C. Marshall was Eisenhower's boss in World War II. He was effectively the chief of staff, uh, even though that wasn't created until 1947. But de facto, he was chief of staff. He was uh, MacArthur's boss. He was Eisenhower's boss and so on. He was a great American. He would eventually become secretary of state, author of the Marshall Plan. I mean, that's the so thing. On. If somebody like that can be accused... Well, going back to the Salem witch trials, maybe once the governor's wife, William Phipps' wife, was accused, uh, that's what really did it. (laughs) (laughs) This is is going a little too far. Right. So So whatever happened to McCarthy? Did he uh, McCarthy uh, McCarthy was an alcoholic and he died in uh, at the age of young age of 49 in 1957, a broken man. Did he ever uh, apologize for what he did and no, the lives he destroyed? Uh, but it, he's a he's a very interesting case, uh, and there were many who supported McCarthy, and not just Republicans. Many Democrats supported McCarthy. For instance, Joe Kennedy Sr., who contributed to his campaign. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was his junior counsel, secondary counsel to Roy Cohen. That's a very Byzantine and complex matter, the McCarthy well, that's, era. Yeah, that's a whole episode right there. But whether it's the Salem witch trials or the McCarthy. Uh, it's all witch hunts. Well, it, there's hysteria always involved. And it seems like there's a lot of people that like to pull down one other person here or there. And I'm very wary of that. I think it's rooted in a lot of pettiness and ignorance. I see it uh, increasingly in our era and it worries me it's like we haven't learned no man basically i've studied history long enough to know that that mankind never learns individuals learn but mankind as a whole keeps making the same mistakes over and over again it's like come on Uh, people right but such is the way of things so after 1693 Mm -hmm. no one else was accused of being a witch Oh, uh, there was an accusation as late as 1878 in Massachusetts uh, of of witchcraft, of a man, Uh, but that went nowhere. So there were still some accusations here and there, but nobody... nobody... Because, I mean, that kind of mentality doesn't just disappear overnight. Oh, no. You still believe in in witches and witchcraft and... Right. You just so, have no more legal repercussions for accusing someone. As, as I, when I started the podcast, the good news was that after 1692, never in America, in the colonies, and then eventually the United States, was ever anyone executed for witchcraft again. Thank goodness. Yes. That was the last in, in the American colonies. But a lot of religious people even now believe in Satan and... Well, if you look at it from a logical point of view, if you really believe in God, then it's just not much of a leap to believe in Satan. And if you believe in Satan and you could believe in possession, etc., 
I am, as you know, a devout agnostic, but I have a real respect for the Judeo-Christian tradition. But I would say to anyone, I would invoke Jesus here, uh, who has a lot of good sayings. You know, Thomas Jefferson didn't think Jesus was divine, but he admired his ethical teachings very much. And one of the te- one of the things that Jesus said that I admire is he said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. I think a lot of people should remember that. They don't. <laughs> they don't. They should, but they don't. So that's about it. Wow, that is just, it's so tragic. And it's like these girls just needed a good spanking or a, or a time out. <laughs> yeah, they I know, were. I know spanking is not politically correct anymore, yeah. but yeah. it just makes you wonder if it would have put an end to the hysterics. Yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of people in Salem Village, Salem Town, Boston, Ipswich, and so on that were very skeptical of this. But you see, to be skeptical, you I can't think a, a man named Proctor was very skeptical of all of this, and he was accused of witchcraft. That's the thing. <laughs> If you even question what's yes, happening, right. you get accused. Yeah, well, that's... You got to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. It was... It was. Gosh, it's it's just like we're talking about today almost. Well, that's why I made the comparison. It's kind of mind-blowing in a yeah. way. There's a lot of hysteria in most any age. Yes. For reason, reason is our another. greatest Reason is our greatest asset. And I think that a lot of times that is forgotten. People lose their reason. Yes. They let their emotions get the better of them. And then when you couple that with ignorance, wow. Oh, you're doomed. Yeah. So what are we doing next? Well, next for our first episode of season two, very exciting. Mm -hmm. What better thing to do than the restoration? Ah, Charles II. Since we've been talking about him in this episode, let's let's dig a little deeper into this dude. Well, he's my, I've said this before, if I could have a beer with just one British monarch, Charles II would be my choice. Not Uh, Henry VIII. Not, well, Henry VIII wouldn't be a bad choice at all, but I would choose Charles II. I I really uh, have a great admiration for him overall. I think he was very shrewd. I think he was a great judge of character. Uh, I don't want to give too much away. Okay. All right. But we'll deal with Charles II. We'll deal with the restoration. And what that means. What does restoration mean? Right. Including restoration comedy. Right. It's a whole, it's a whole era of theater. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of fascinating. Yes, indeed. So that's a great way to kick off season two. The restoration. The restoration. All right, then. Okay. Well, thank you for enlightening us on the Salem Witch Trials. Well, you're welcome. And uh, hopefully nothing like that will ever occur again. Oh, I hope not. Uh, At least in America. Nope. So until next time, stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Yes. Goodbye. Well, friends. Here we are at the end of the podcast. Be sure to check out the links in the show description to find some of the resources we used for this episode. Also, if you've enjoyed listening, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a virtual high five by leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. And if you'd like to connect with us directly, you can find us at historicallyspeakingpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at historicallyspeakingpodcast. That's it for today, and again, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. And remember, if you want to know what the future holds, study the past.